start planning your dream garden with the help of the Garden Trellis Company. For more than 30 years, we've been making beautifully crafted joinery for the garden. The RHS-endorsed range of top-quality joinery includes trellis and slatted panels, fencing, gates, planters, stores and more for people who want to make the best of their outdoor space. The products are made in our Essex workshop from responsibly sourced timber, and with each order, we plant a new tree. Get 15% off RHS-endorsed Prestige products at the Garden Trellis Company when you order online or by phone with code RHSPODCAST. Visit gardentrellis.co.uk to find out more and order. I'm Verity Bradbury, team leader at RHS Garden Wisley. We're currently over by the South African Meadow and the Glass House. It's a lovely sunny morning, the rain has cleared up and the garden has certainly got that feel of visitors expecting a great day in the garden. If you've got children at home at the moment and you're wondering how to occupy them, keep listening. Authors Lucy Jones and Kenneth Greenway have written a book called The Nature Seed, how to raise nurturing and adventurous kids, and they'll be sharing their favourite activities. Children can't have all the fun, though, and we'll be learning how to create beautiful dried flower displays with florist Raymond Gordon. And we're heading back in time as we learn about the work of 19th century American educator Booker T. Washington, who created pioneering horticulture and agriculture courses for black women in the US. But let's start closer to home, in Wisley's glass houses. My name's Alex Young. I'm a horticulturalist here at Archer's Garden Wisley, uh, currently working on the glass house team looking after the tropical zone. Alex has a particular soft spot for indoor greenery, so we've tasked him with taking us through everything you need to know about houseplants, whether you love palms, monstera, ferns or fiddle-leaf figs. Alex will be covering all bases, from watering to propagation and more. Before we hear his guide to buying the right plant for you, I'd like to know where his houseplant obsession came from. My interest in houseplants come from about seven, coming up to eight years now, uh, when I first started in horticulture. I was actually just looking for a job and signed up to an agency who found me a job at a gardening firm. Said yes, started instantaneously, and from then I just became really fascinated with plants because I've never, even though I've been one for the outdoors, I've never really sort of honed in on like plants themselves and like working with them, they just fascinated me so much. And because at the time as well, I was living in a flat and I didn't have any outdoor space, so frequent trips to the garden centre and I thought, oh, yeah, let's buy a few houseplants. And it, it's honestly like a, at first it's like an addiction. You buy two or three and then you're like, no, I need more green, I need more, I need more flowers, I need more colour, I need more foliage. And it did spiral out of control at one point, but I've brought it down to sort of a measly 70 to 80 plants now. <laughs> at the minute I've got this thing for anthuriums. I've always sort of loved them but they are a very temperamental plant. And now I feel like I've, maybe not mastered, but I understand more of how, what they want and how to grow them. 
Okay, so a little buying guide for houseplants. So nine times out of 10, people usually go to a garden center, they see a plant they like, and think, oh, that'll work great on the kitchen table or, or wherever. And usually it's not the case. Um, you're best off knowing exactly where you want to put the plant and searching for one that's gonna be suited for that area, whether it's near a window with a draft coming through, etc. Yeah, it's best to know where you wanna put the plant before you buy the plant. Cause I've even done it when I first started collecting. I would say, like the look of that fern, and then I put it next to a windowsill and too much light and it's just dried the whole thing out. So it's best to understand where you want to plant and then pick one that's suited. Actually, I had a little delivery yesterday of a few plants. I got them from a, a company called Grow Tropicals based in Leeds who supply amazing plants, like plants that it's very hard to come across in your average sort of garden centres. I had a nice delivery of an Anthurium warocreanum, which is what we call the Queen Anthurium, which is a beautiful little, tiny little thing, but one day it will be huge and yeah. It's got really elongated shield-like leaves, dark green, almost like a velvety texture and then like a silvery midrib with veins and oh, it just looks amazing. So you've got your plant, but what pot should you put it in? Alex will be back next week with his second instalment of Houseplants 101. Personally, I'm still very new to the world of houseplants, but I do have a Sansevieria cylindrica, which is a great architectural plant and seems to withstand some neglect. As it's the school summer holidays, Wisley's been full of families recently. Kids running around on the grass, spotting dragonflies and sniffing the flocks. It's great to see. There is currently an Alice in Wonderland trail on for children. So if you come with children, make sure to pick up a, a leaflet, do the self-guided trail and also stop by the Back to Nature play area as well. But if you're struggling to get your young ones excited about outdoor adventures, I know two people who'll be able to help. My name's Kenneth Greenway and my full-time job, I'm the Cemetery Park Manager at Tower Hamlet Cemetery Park in Tower Hamlets East London, working for the charity The Friends of Tower Hamlet Cemetery Park. Why I like to be outside in nature with my family is, well, partly it's free and it inspires every day. It's really easy to enjoy the seasons and what you see. I found something, come on, follow me. All right, where are we going? I'd like to look at some the You found some caterpillars? Yeah. All right, let's uh, wander up through the tall grass here. Okay. I'm Lucy Jones. I am a journalist and author. Now it's green spiky cases. Right. They're very, they're quite spiky. Yeah. Can you see? And, and do you know what's inside them? Uh, conkers. Yeah. Really big conkers? Yeah. I live in a quite urban town and our nearest kind of natural environment is a cemetery. And we have one tree which we call the ice cream tree, which is a horse chestnut. And we go and visit it most days to see how it changes from the kind of ice cream whips with the pink and yellow stamens and how they change and the kind of sticky toffee buds. 
At the moment, there's a lot of gatekeeper butterflies and hoverflies and, and bumblebees. And often she will show me things that I don't notice myself because she's probably a lot more patient than I am. I think it's important for children to spend time in nature from a young age. So we now know, the science has empirically proved what many of us intuitively know, which is that being in nature makes us happier and healthier. For example, we recover from stress quickly and more completely in the natural area. And we know that if a child has the opportunities to spend time in nature, get to know other living beings, get to know the woods and the trees and the rivers and so on. As a child, they're more likely for that relationship to carry on into adulthood. Let's talk about how we have fun in the woods and some simple activities and enjoyable activities to get the most out of your time in the woods. It literally can be something as simple as leaf bingo. So, you know, get them all in a circle, run and go find a leaf, and then find the similarities between other people in that circle with your leaf. So who has the same colour? Who has the same shape? How many points does your leaf have? If it's like a maple-shaped leaf, you know, is it a round margin or a sawtooth margin? I'd be interested to see these. What do you, um, do you know what they look like? How, what do, describe to me what cinnabar caterpillars look like. black and orange. Black and orange? help them understand what's around them. And that could be sitting around a fire or going for a walk or, you know, matching some leaves up or making some art with natural materials. I first discovered the subject of wild art from the artist Andy Goldsworthy. So he would go out into outdoor spaces, no tools, but he would make the tools with the natural materials he found and create pieces of art. So that could be involving rocks, ice, sticks twigs or the seasonal color of autumn leaves as they fall and he would arrange them in patterns and i've done a lot with just the autumn color leaves just arranging them in color order from darkest in the middle out to lightest colors which tend to be your yellows at the edge it looks very nice it looks very smashing and it's lovely because everyone runs off with a bucket collecting different colored leaves and they're like oh then then it's kind of that teamwork and trying to bring them together and people communicating and organizing themselves to do a kind of collective piece of art so you get some formal education around that because you're looking at colors and shapes and similarities we really like just having a simple treasure hunt so we have 10 points if you find a mushroom you know 20 points for a fly agaric five points for a squirrel it seems to get children moving having that reward with older children there are a wider variety of activities you can get them involved in kind of citizen science and bio blitzes so joining up with your local community and counting different species and there's lots of great initiatives by the kind of wildlife charities like what's it called ken big garden bird watch yes uh, it yeah the big that's garden right. bird watch or big that's butterfly right. count children like getting involved in that or things kind of later in the evenings as well so obviously younger kids need to go to bed earlier but older kids you could keep them up and go star spotting or badger hunting not not hunting but uh, badger spotting obviously if you're wondering how to entice your children outside or into the garden leave long grass <laughs> want to get kids outside leave long grass have a log pile 
have a bucket with some water in it. That's it. Even if you've got a balcony, you can do that. Just have a little window box with some long grass in it and have a bucket with some water in and just bring a log in from outside. Nature will be in it and on it or come to it. And then go out and look together. You're not, you know, if you're beginning together, you need to start with them. Let's go and look in the grass. Let's look amongst the grass blades. Let's take a little net and have a fish in the water. Let's turn over the logs and just give them some prompts. But eventually they'll go out and do it themselves because they'll see the pleasure in your face and the pleasure from their own discoveries. Lucy Jones and Kenneth Greenway, their book, The Nature Seed, How to Raise Adventurous and Nurturing Kids, will be out on the 26th of August. So, from two people on a mission to get children outdoors today, to an unsung hero of horticulture from the late 19th century. In America, Booker T. Washington was an advisor to presidents, but also an educator who created horticultural opportunities for black people in the South. My name is Abra Lee. I am a writer, speaker, and horticulturist, and I am the founder of a company named Conquer the Soil, where I use the history and art of horticulture to raise awareness of gardening. To give some context about Booker T. Washington, this is a man that was born into slavery and was able to make his way to college and through college, ends up being the star student and this incredible orator and speaker. And he is handpicked to go start a new school for newly freed Black students in the state of Alabama, also in the South. And that school is called Tuskegee. So once he sets up this school in Tuskegee, he is really brilliant about the way that he goes about it. He brings in the best and the brightest academics and teachers, Black teachers from all across the United States. So he brings in people like George Washington Carver, who is one of the greatest horticulturists, if not the greatest horticulturists, certainly in the United States of America and top in the world. He also brings in people like David August Williston, the first Black landscape architect in the United States of America. And from the very beginning, he believes that women should have a place in university and learn these outdoor skills. So he is really setting the foundation for maybe, and I would say arguably, the greatest horticulture program in America. He wants his race, which is Black people, to be able to survive and thrive in what is post-slavery America. He does a lot of traveling. One of the places that he travels to is the UK, and he goes to Swanley Horticultural College in Kent. And there he observes these women at this school, not just taking chemistry and botany classes, but applying that in real time to the field. And what I mean by real time to the field is that they are doing floriculture work. They are working with trees. They are understanding how to do design work. And he realizes this is what the women at Tuskegee need as well, because in the early 1900s, the late 1800s, gardening for women isn't looked at as some profession that women should be in. We're really looked at as people that should just be homemakers only and maybe quilting or creating clothes or cooking food, but not out there understanding how to work the land. 
And so Booker T. Washington goes back to Alabama and creates a carbon copy of their program. Many times we talk about, oh, well, women weren't designers or they didn't do XYZ in horticulture until much later on. And that's just simply not true. They were doing this work. They just weren't credited as experts doing these works. So these women who come back to their rural towns and raise children and those children raise children, these are the grandmamas who help people understand how to lay out and how to design gardens. They were understanding things like bouquet making and harmony of color and the form and size of flowers and how to lay out walks and streets and understanding entomology. So they were very skilled in this type of work. They were very knowledgeable and they were women. He gives this speech that turns him into a controversial figure publicly and it's deemed the Atlanta Compromise speech. And he talks about Black people excelling in labor, meaning, yes, it is okay to work for these former slave owners. It's okay to have these labor jobs. To use his words, he talks about us being as separate as the fingers. So the white audience that he's speaking to hears this speech and they love it. It's essentially launching the grounds of separate but equal. And so people look at Booker T. Washington for all that he accomplished also as a Black man who launched much of the segregation movement in the United States as well. So I just wanted to be clear on, I'm saying all these amazing things and they are amazing. And I'm also wanting to be clear on why people took a real issue with him. I think what's been lost along the way is that these, these women, these black women, they were hidden in plain sight. They went back into their own communities and overwhelmingly in many communities in America, segregation still exists. I grew up in a black neighborhood and I went to school in a white neighborhood. So I think that the work is being done, but unless you have the financial means to pay for the paperwork that establishes you as a, and I'm saying this in air quotes, an expert, then you're not considered that. So I'll use myself as a perfect example. I have a degree in horticulture. My parents had the money and the privilege to pay for that. However, my mother is the one that grew up on a farm. Her grandfather who raised her started off as a sharecropper and purchased the 27 acres of land that my mother grew up on in Barnesville. His mother was born into slavery. My great-great-grandmother, none of them are considered horticulturists or agriculturists or botanists. I am the one considered that because my parents had the privilege to pay for the education as if they don't run circles around me understanding the land. It's like, of course they do. They know way more than I would ever know. And I'm not being dismissive of horticultural education from academia because it is needed and it is necessary. I'm just saying, if we're going to go back in history and decide, wait a minute, who are we leaving out? We're leaving out a whole lot of people from a whole lot of backgrounds because their education isn't what we call, quote unquote, formal. And that is a disservice to horticulture as a whole. It really, really is. Plants have allowed me to understand Black culture in America better, American history better. So the power of the plant and how that reaches beyond the soil and the trees and the leaves, and it reaches into life and it reaches into culture and it reaches into understanding your neighbor better. There's so much nuance that can be learned just by studying garden history. 
I'm out by a particularly amazing looking bed at the moment. I can see Nyphophias with their really striking orange, Watsonias, which we actually have in a range of oranges and pinks, and also Rebecca's, the lovely yellows, and Helleniums, the orangey reds in the distance as well, really catching the eye. Sadly, in a few weeks, these particular ones won't be looking quite as great. But it's not necessarily the end for them. I'm thinking about dried flowers. Event florist, contestant on Netflix The Big Flower Fight and director of Sunflowers UK, Raymond Gordon, is here to explain how to give it a go. Okay, the process of drying flowers from home is first step. After the flowers start to wilt, just throw the water out and get a bit of string. I would advise get some water, fresh water, and wash the stems because there may be uh, some leaf at the bottom of the stems. We normally clean the leaf or what we use in floristry is to condition them. Conditioning meaning that not allowing any dried leaf to become wet, so become damped and and really nasty. So basically you get some fresh water and you wash those off, dry them off really nicely, and then get a bit of string and tie the end of the stem. So in this case now, that is step two, the flower head is turning down. So all the minerals from the stem is going down into the head of the flower. In that case, it's the head of the rose or the head of the hydrangea or carnation. Certain flowers, you'll realize that they can't dry, like gerbera, you can't dry those. You need flower that has petals to be able to dry. And then when you tie those, you're going to put it into somewhere that is room temperature. Some people put it in their garage, but I would recommend put it somewhere where there's light. And then in a few months, you can use a floral spray and you can spray it and put some colors on there and make it really nice and creative. So I think people can do this at home. Floristry is a creative, so I would recommend you can use fresh flowers as well as dried flowers, but it depends on how you're going to kind of allow your creation to look like. For me, I would recommend having the dried flowers, uh, the bigger flowers at the base. So like you have your hydrangeas, have those at the very base, and then you can uh, build up from your hydrangeas to your fresh flowers. But I would insert a lot of foliages in there, especially eucalyptus, and I would break it down with some green fine ruscus and other textures such as some fine eucalyptus. Gypsophilia works well with dried flowers as well. When you look at the whole entirety of the arrangement, your eye is not focusing so much on the dried flowers, but your eye gets drawn into other elements of the arrangement. Beauty is always in the eye of the world. That's what I said to people. And what is someone rubbish is someone's treasure. You may look at dried flowers and say that these flowers are no good, but if you give it to an artist, you'll be amazed to see what that person can use those flowers to create. So I would say to people, don't give up on dried flowers. Try to create 
collections of them. And then you'll be amazed to see how you can use them for various uh, arrangements in your home. And the family getting married, yes, dried flowers is used for wedding bouquets. If you want to get married and you know someone in your family and all the bouquets you've been getting for Valentine's and weddings and thank you bouquets and all of that, and you really wanted to create and you love dried flowers, you want to create a nice centerpieces for your weddings, it could be a thing for you. Raymond Gordon. Thanks for listening today. And if you'd like any more information on anything you've heard, just head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. For now, though, it's goodbye from me, Verity Bradbury, as I get back to the weeding. As we look to the year ahead, start planning your dream garden with the help of the Garden Trellis Company. For more than 30 years, we've been making beautifully crafted joinery for the garden. Our range of top-quality products, endorsed by the RHS, includes trellis and slatted panels, fencing, gates, planters, sheds and stores, and all made in our workshop in Essex. Make the most of your outdoor space and get 15% off RHS-endorsed Prestige Joinery products at the Garden Trellis Company when you order online or by phone with code RHSPODCAST. Visit gardentrellis.co.uk to find out more and order.